back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am here with my usual two cohorts, Dr. Bill Robinson. Uh, the greatest poet of our time. To- Wait, no, that's not me. Uh, the, the greatest plagiarizer. <laughs> hey, it's not me either. Didn't you just say that? No. I said- anyway, <laughs> and we also have Scott H. What does the H stand for today? Hmm. Here? <laughs> Scott here, Gardner. <laughs> I'm here. And today we are taking a look at issue number two of Fearscape. We've done issue number one. That was Bill and I. And just to put it in a nutshell, we both were pretty high on the book. We liked the intelligence with which it was written. We liked the artwork. We thought the main protagonist was fascinating in his own way because he's delusional and yet strange. Uh, so we, we were very high and we gave it A's across the board on issue number one. So, uh, we're going to see where issue number two falls, but Scott, before we go to issue number two, since you were not on episode number one, you want to give in a nutshell what you thought of it? Of the first issue? Yes. Um, hmm. (laughs) You're putting me on the spot. I am, Uh, and I apologize for not giving you a warning (laughs) that I was going to do that. Um... In a nutshell, I, I kind of dug the first issue. Um, uh, in all, in all fairness to Scott, we did, Paul and I read like page by page and we're bouncing off each other and like one of us would notice something the other one didn't. So we got a little more, by talking through the book, we kind of figured out and maybe made some speculations as to where the story was going. So yeah, you are kind of on the spot. Go! <laughs> <laughs> I, I really liked the way the first issue started. Um, I liked the little dig at Watchmen and all that. And uh, I, I liked, at first, I liked the idea that it might be... Dig at Watchmen? What did I miss? So in the... in the All right, so on the first page of the story of, of issue oh, with one, with you've all got the nine panel grid... Uh, and okay. the second panel says it is common for writers to use this arrangement to declare themselves the protege of those who came before. These men, men is Bolden, we watch and watch is Bolden, and from whom we learn all the wrong lessons. Oh, and it's a nine-panel grid, which Watchmen, I believe, was through every every page, wasn't it? I think. I think, I think you're flashes, right. I think you're right. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I, I took it as a little bit of a dig at, at Watchmen and, you know, the, the kind of pomposity of that whole thing and, and how it's lauded as, you know, the greatest thing that comics ever produce and blah, blah, blah. However, as, well, see, I don't, I don't want to mix the, the two together. I don't want to mix issue one and issue two. I kind of liked issue one, um, and and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I liked it. I, I thought the art uh, was really good. I thought the story had a lot of potential, um, and I was I was intrigued. I liked some of the things that it did. I, I thought there was some some genuine originality to it, and I was uh, I was intrigued despite the fact that this really isn't my my kind of comics or, or, or my bag. I'm not really big on fantasy or whatever the hell genre you would call this thing. 
but I was intrigued enough to uh, you know to, to try to follow it into the the next issue. So I, I, I guess gonna, that's the I'm put it. I'm going to jump on that and say that it really isn't the style of comic that I'm tr- typically uh, drawn to either. But I think, as Bill just said, I think as we went through it page by page, I gained a greater appreciation for it than I had otherwise. I had kind of liked it right from the start, just from sitting down and reading it. But then having kind of a, a, a breakdown of it and discussing it, I felt that there was even more layer to it than I had thought beforehand. So that made me uh, bump up my grades. So I don't right. know. Th- I don't know if it would have done the same for you or not. I can't. You know, it's too too late to speculate on that. Uh, but let's see, because uh, going into the second issue, to be quite honest with you, before we get into the story, I kind of feel like we've had the groundwork laid. We've had our prologue, and going into issue number two, I'm kind of looking to step up the action a little bit, because that's typically where I'm looking to go in a story like this. And we'll see whether or not we get that. And if not, or if so, you know, does it meet to our expectations? Does it surprise us in any way? Let's let's kind of bring ourselves through it. Uh, the on the back cover, they do have the you know the one paragraph teaser that I'll read now. Heroic plagiarist Henry Henry faces his first trial in the Fearscape. Within the Weeping Castle, home to the children of Prometheus, Henry Henry encounters wondrous and fanciful creatures, including the First Fear. With courage and calm, he endures the heart of darkness, refusing the easy temptation of light. No legs can outrun, no mind can outwit, no heart can outlove our hero. Now, just from that as, as a prelude to what we're getting in this issue, again, I'm kind of anticipating a little action here. Uh, and it's not as if I haven't read this book yet. I'll tell you, having read through it, I thought I, I, I was looking for a little bit more in the way of action than we got. But maybe again, as we discuss it, maybe I'll start finding some, some subtext there that I didn't see the first time around. So why don't we jump in again? This story is written by Ryan O'Sullivan. The illustrations are by Andrea Muti. Colorist is Vladimir Popov. And lettering by And World Design. The cover shows our protagonist. I hate to call him our hero because so far he has not done a thing that's heroic. Uh, and he's standing, <laughs> I guess, with the muse. And they're looking at a zigzag, I guess, treacherous roadway. But then that leads to an opening where there's what looks to be like a fairy tale castle. And in between. Hmm? The Weeping Castle. In between, there is a silhouetted, shadowy, possibly threatening figure. And it's all with a purple background. And again, like last time, uh, again, we're working off a PDF, but uh, it looks like it's a uh, probably a thicker stock and designed mm-hmm. to make it look like it's an old book that's kind of worn away at, port, at, at spots. Yeah. Yep, especially on the edges and stuff. So the story opens with a flashback sequence of uh, Arthur Proctor, the, uh, I guess, mentor. A young Arthur Proctor. Yeah, yeah a, a, I guess, probably maybe 40-year-old or 30-something-year-old <laughs> Arthur Proctor at a book signing with no one else there except for Henry Henry, who looks to be a young teenager at the time. And he asks, how do I become a writer? And Proctor says, uh, well, I wouldn't... You, Usually wouldn't reveal my secrets, but it doesn't look like anyone else is coming, so sit down and I'll show you. And I don't even think he's a teenager. 
You I think, think he's preteen? I think he's about 10. Yeah. That's possible. It's hard, it's, it's hard yeah. to tell for certain. Well, the only thing you can tell is from the one where, where Proctor's sitting at the desk and Henry's standing in front of the desk. And so based and, on his height? Yeah. Okay. So he's a pretty tall adult, or at least he seems to be. So that's why I'm thinking he's got to be, he has to be a preteen. So from there, we, we, we leave our flashback sequence, and we cut to effectively the scene that we have on the cover with uh, Henry and the Muse looking at that jagged roadway with, uh, I guess, a treacherous fall on either side of it and the uh, weeping castle beyond it. And again, we see a uh, very deliberate placement of the word uh, balloons. Yeah, where he once again cuts her off. Yeah, she's saying, Behold, the weeping castle, home to the children of Prometheus, sworn, and then the, his thought bubbles go over that to, <laughs> to interrupt it. Forgive me, dear reader, for subjecting you to witless exposition from the sentient encyclopedia now masquer- masquerading as my escort. So he certainly yeah, hasn't learned... on the muse. He certainly hasn't learned any humility between last issue and this one. No. Her insincere, self-imposed grandiosity was an attempt to entertain me as she had those middle-brow and upper Philistine storytellers before me with the patter of the most repugnant specimen, the world-building fantasy author. She once... She who once inflamed my soul with promises of the ivory tower now exhausted me with babble by the numbers. So again, I, I kind of I find it interesting that that this this guy is a plagiarist, and yet he's very quick to diss other people, saying you know babble by the numbers and talking about fantasy writers as if you know they're, they're not worth his uh, effort. So for there we shall meet the first fear. Was it a reformed fear who is fighting for the side of and against he uh, again he dis, uh, interrupts her to catch his breath. So I guess he's uh, feeling he, a little taken he, by it all. He didn't have any. I'm trying to think. There was there was no health issues in the first. Not that we're aware of. Uh, yeah. Okay. Or he's is he just stalling? Is really what is is that what he's doing? Hmm. Well, he sits and he's talking to her and he says, I see you. Oh, she says, I see you as you are. And then he's thinking to himself, I see you as you are. My guts tightened. Was I undone? Did she see me now as Henry Henry the imposter and not Arthur Proctor the storyteller? So even though he's kind of delusional, he still is self-aware enough to know that he's an imposter. Or is he just thinking he's an imposter as far as the name, not so much as the talent? Had she expected some trite genre novelist, okay, so it's just the name, <laughs> as her traveling companion, one who might be enthused rather than exhausted by her incessant expositional ejaculations, <laughs> had my, weary unma- my weariness unmasked me. I had yet to discover the secret of this place, the hidden well from which all storytellers drank. Was I doomed never to discover, to fall, fall here in the prologue? She <laughs> offers to return him home... And he says, he basically stands up with a little false bravado and says, try to keep up, Muse. Yeah, because he think, I kind of feels that if he doesn't, you know, she might think something's up. So they get to the gates, and I think it's, uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't think of his oh. name. Oh, see, that, that's where I would be. It says the, the asthma scene, 
which immediately followed the prior scene has been omitted for the sake of narrative cohesion. I, that, I, I knew that. That's right. That's where I saw it. Okay, so yes. Guess, so he had an asthma attack, but he just kind of left that out conveniently. Uh-huh. I forgot about that because I was going to ask, you know, just based on his appearance and his kind of flaky demeanor and everything, if there was something wrong with this guy, you know, like maybe he was a... Uh, Maybe he was on drugs or or, or uh, alcoholic or something, but I forgot about the the reference to the asthma thing. So I, I think I think he's supposed to be like almost like the stereotypical like tortured artist type of thing. You know what I mean by by his you know rumpled appearance and and demeanor and everything. Like he's not quite all there. You know what I mean. But but also the tortured artist who's quite pretentious. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, the guy who they meet, the, the guard for the door, uh, in, in appearance, reminds me of F. Murray Abraham from Star Trek Insurrection. <laughs> he reminds the me of the, the Sona. Yeah, yeah, he does. He also reminds me of that dude that's that's waiting for Obi Wan in uh, in Revenge of the Sith, where he goes to the planet chasing uh, Count or uh, what's his name, uh, General. Oh, uh, yeah, the guy that who was the. Yeah, there's a gyrocopter guy in Matt. Yes, and, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Bruce Spence. They are here I think. on the upper level, or whatever he says there. Yes, yes. yeah. <laughs> yes. Odo, oh, I can't remember the character's name, but and I and I know they've covered him on. Uh, yeah, uh, Star Wars character. Yeah, they did. So, so, so F. Murray Abraham says, "This is to be our storyteller." <laughs> My guts tightened a second time. I'd been a bit of fool to think the muse would unmask me. She. She was nothing more than a doting lamb, but this creature, this hooded black shadow, I could tell it saw through me. It was sure to reveal my... And he says, you, the guard says, you seem lost. Huh? Your eyes, there is a malaise in your, in your mind. Yes, sorry, this place is having an impact on me. That's because your imagination is eating itself right now. Storyteller, it is devouring inwards, pitching every possible answer that might make sense of all this. You must stop thinking so much. Start feeling. It is the only way you will survive here. And while this is going on, they're walking into a darkened doorway. And they enter in, and we see kind of a strange... Menagerie there. Yeah, you got kind of got what a looks centaur. to be like a, a dragon, a centaur, and a minotaur. And then three, well, you, I don't know if that's, a, is that a dragon or just three globes holding mermaids, sirens? It looks like a dragon holding the globes. Mm. So, so, but now this guy says, your first challenge awaits a long, and his, his thought bubbles inter- interrupt him again. He began to speak of shadows and light, but my eyes were stolen by another. And he's looking at a mermaid, a siren, of course, even here. I was ever a victim of such creatures. And he asks, Muse, who are these people? And, and in my mind, I, I hear Jerry Seinfeld. Who are these people? <laughs> Gee, uh, he seems to really like the one with the blonde hair. <clears throat> now, is she supposed to be a recreation of somebody in particular? Well, uh, Proctor's daughter. Or Daryl Hannah. Uh. I'm not saying it's supposed to be Daryl Hannah. But the middle one could be Ariel. She's got mm. the red hair. Yeah, it's got the red hair. Hmm. Ah, they're just, they're all mermaids. So, you wish to know my name, storyteller. This is the guide speaking. I am what you, what your kind fears first. I am the small and the large. I am life, I am death. I am the soul of man. You will meet another of my kind, the greatest of all fears. He believes the fear place an e- fearscape an evil place. I do not. 
I consider it a neutral battleground, one which allows humanity to overcome its greatest fears. Should you dare to face and name them? Dare you face me, storyteller? Dare you discover my name? And while that's going on, a hand appears. Venom is that a hand? Is that a hand from beyond the door reaching and pulling him in, or is that the tail end of the cloak of the guard? Uh, I say it's it's pulling him in. And then, I don't think it's and the, then the door shuts behind him. But he does say, "Dare you face me, storyteller?" Which is a little confusing. So now he's on in a uh, kind of a what's he? He's on a, on a boat on. It's uh, I don't know. In my mind, I'm thinking it's like, it's like a ri- tugboat. I'm thinking it's like the River Styx. Right. An illusion with an illusion. Oh, how I loathe metafiction. <laughs> and I I, <laughs> I have to tell you, I enjoy the commentary from this guy. Still, I had to play along to dance my part in the merry little stage show. Was there an answer to my new friend's identity? What was the first thing humanity fears? Isolation, perhaps? Children forever clinging to their parents? No, I've always been content in my solitude. What writer would would I be if not? What was it then? Ah, yes, of course. We live in the flicker. Our first fear is the fear of the dark, which is odd now that I think on it. As a boy, I always embraced the dark. While the dark brought terrors such as Boogeyman and the monster in the closet and the shadow of the creaky floorboard, it also protected me. It blinded me to things I did not wish to see, from cruel and absurd mysteries not fit for a human being to behold. Every night I smothered in the dark, I escaped our world to dream, and in dreaming found peace. And while while that dialogue is going on, he's on, like you said, whatever, a tugboat or whatever, traveling through... And it is not really in total darkness. In fact, it looks like there's light up ahead. Well, I think his fear is light and being exposed. Yeah, that seems more likely. You know, either either the light of being exposed or the light of passing on into another, the light of death, maybe. Mm. And then he he recalls the uh, guard saying, "You must stop thinking so much and start feeling," an irrelevant platitude. I'd conquest. I'd conquered the first challenge using only my mind, and that infuriated them. How dare I not bleed for my hero's journey? How dare I, at best, become only lightly bruised for my hero's commute? And meanwhile, there's the fist of light coming towards him, and he's saying, "No, get it away from me." So his 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 mind contrasts what his body is doing. Mm-hmm. How dare I refuse to prostrate myself? before the casual reader that they might relate to me, or worse still, find empathy in my posh-lost journeyman struggle. Now, I don't know the word posh-lost. I'll look it up. Okay. How dare I aspire to be more than an open wound, bleeding inward, feigning apothesis. And he's saying, let go, I like it here, which goes again to what you said, Bill, that the light is pulling him away from the dark, and that seems to be bothering him. And then the voice says, this man is no storyteller. Ah, the hero with a thousand faces, a cube-headed fool, jealous of anyone who would step into the spotlight. And here's the first artistic choice that I'm not crazy about. I don't like the look of this, I guess, threat or challenge or whatever you want to call it, this cube-headed. It's like an armored being with a a red cape and then a a glowing cube of a head. Uh, It's kind of a, I don't know, a combination between... uh, a Knight of the Round Table, Dormammu, and uh, Arnim Zola. It's just, uh, I, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not embracing. That's a, good, that's a really good description right there. That's, but I'm not embracing the visual on it. I, I, I'm not crazy about it. I don't know. He's like the uh, awesome android. That's what he reminds me. Of. <laughs> a little bit that too, yeah. 
Uh, Posh Lost said it was a uh, a Russian word that uh, is the Russian version of banality with a characteristic national flavoring of... This one word encompasses triviality, vulgarity, sexual promiscuity, and a lack of spirituality. Okay. Well, it would be consistent with the dismissiveness of everyone except for himself that Henry Henry seems to have. Poshloss is a pretense to having an elevated taste in the absence of an independent aesthetic feeling. It is a blind and therefore clumsy imitation of those who truly have good taste. Oh, okay. I kind of understand it better now. Okay. So uh, now the muse says... you can't learn from comic books? (laughs) The muse says, why would you do that? He only needed a little while longer. And the cube-headed guy says, the Echo Spirits did not clear his passage. He should not be here. The muse says, that is for me to decide. Cubehead says... How can he hope to overcome the greatest of all fears the if he cannot overcome head. the first? He's, it's going back to that Steve Ditko book with the cube. <laughs> all babes fear the light. Whoa. All babes overcome this fear. Your champion is less than a babe. Go ahead, it's Scott. It's a cube. <laughs> yeah, we, we've kind of let that expression die a little bit. We need to revive it. Mm. Yeah, it's making a comeback right now. So uh, now we go to Henry. Henry's, again, internal monologue. The first fear is light? What nonsense. They'd set me up to fail. My guts tried to warn me, but I it no longer mattered. I had exposed their insincerity. They would never forgive me for it. Only one option remained before me. And what was that option? I need to turn the page. I never once looked back. Let erudice ensnare me once more. I was Orpheus reborn. So he basically walked out of the castle, and he's walking along that roadway. I was Henry Henry, exhausted. Was I a fool for traveling to the Fearscape, for thinking the secret of the novel were hidden, secrets of the novel were hidden within its violacious roots? I, forgive me, dear reader, I tire now even in retelling. The Fearscape is not a physical thing to speak of. It is a feel, or is it to feel anew? I must take a moment to compose myself. Read on without me, but believe nothing. And a voice says, why did you not say hello? And it is, I guess, that blonde mermaid from earlier. And she's no longer in that uh, orb. In that globe, yeah. yeah she's, she's now in water to the side of the walking path that he's on. And she says, do you not desire me, storyteller? Oh, I do. I do so much. But tell me, Siren, why do, you, why do I desire you when I know your call signals my doom? Why does the muse's love bore me? Why do I see her as a fool? And she responds, She does not entice you, lover. There is no mystery to her charms, and you, the storyteller, are a slave to the unknown and the unseen. Now, is there significance to the fact that we're going down her body towards yes. her belly and the nether regions at this point? I think that's what it's implying, maybe. The unseen beneath the scales of the mermaid? I now she doesn't have like the traditional because she's actually coming out of the water at this point, and she doesn't yeah, have the traditional like, mermaid's tail. It's more of like the, uh, the, Medusa, like the Medusa snake-like body. Mm-hmm. And, and then she says, "No matter how ugly the truth of it," and he's kind of like, "Ah." And he he says, "I thought you were one of the sirens." 
She says, I can be whatever you want me to be. Come, enter the muse, let us reverse the roles. And she now appears like the muse. Or perhaps your desires are darker. Shall we pretend you, Shall we still pretend you're Arthur? And she turns into Arthur's daughter. Yeah, and it gets a little creepy. Yeah, just a touch creepy, huh? Uh, <laughs> what does she say then? Baptize me with your seed, father, for I have sinned. He says, no, please. And then from off the screen again, we get mind your own... You mind your own, you own mind, useless Ulysses. And turning the page, that voice is coming from a floating brain, body brain, a, a brain, a brain with a spinal stem. Forwards for words are words are words for weirds. What? It looks like the the brain is reading from some sort of a book, but the book we see has blank pages. Say, uh... say you, say me. <laughs> said, that's the first thing I thought of when I read that. I say you, say me. Then I was seeing the the floating brain as Lionel Richie. <laughs> His head from, hello, is it me you're looking for? Say, say in, in you. you. Go ahead. Oh, say in you, you own, say in. Now know, known, or known, know now. Oof. All right, next. It's it's like a you know a tongue twister, but as as this brain is going on talking, what at least I'm reading is kind of gibberish. The pages of the book now show uh, the elder Arthur Proctor and his daughter on two of the pages, and from off the screen again we have another voice coming in that says, "I hope you don't mind." And there's a man who looks to be, I guess maybe like old English kind of. And I think I should know who this is, but I don't remember. I can't. Because I don't even think they say in here, if I remember correctly. Well, we'll keep reading along. This is, for only the heart beats. Forgive me, dearest storyteller. I should have intervened sooner. The legs and the mind can be a little on the nose. And what is this place? This is your heart, Henry. That which lies at the core of it. My name isn't Henry. It's Arthur. Oh, there is no such need for pretense, dear boy. We may be honest with one another. What need is there for deception? The truth of your failure is by far the most potent poison to use against you. What happened to you, Henry? I am I am an anthropomorphized manifestation of your heart, and whatever you have buried in it, whatever you have buried, it is so well hidden even I cannot see the truth of it. What could have hurt you so much that you'd hide it from even me? You mention Arthur a great deal. He bothers you, doesn't he? He's always been your favorite author ever since you were a boy. When did you first meet him? How old were you? He became your benefactor at some point. Why is he helping you with your career? You steal from him. Why does he let you do that? And as that voice is continuing, we once again have his thought bubble covering up the words. No, no, more lies. I said no more lies. Forgive me, dear reader, I must interject. This conversation never took place. Its presence here is a deception of the fearscape. You must ignore. And so then, do, you, do you think he's implying... Okay, so I guess I see the resemblance now. Like I, I, I guess that is an, like a, another version of himself he's talking to. Because if, if I look back at the first when they're face-to-face, they both have like this scrubby beard. Maybe that's how he envisions himself. Yeah, like as a great writer... Like a yeah. classical like a writer. Classical writer, yeah. But yeah. when he says did something, is he implying that Arthur did something to him as a child when he said sit down and I'll tell you my secrets? Is that the implication? You know what? I hadn't considered that. 
That because could it's be... so he doesn't want to face it and says it's a lie, and then That's... he says when, and then it says I said no more lies. So I I don't know. I don't know if we're going there, but it it would certainly be potentially employed in what we're getting here. And if that was the where it was going to go, that would, you know this would be a clue to it. So that's that's a good catch, I think. Hmm. Okay, sorry. So then he's he's down on his knees. You win whatever it is you're after. You win, and we have uh, now the three the, guys from the first book. Well, first we have the uh, the manifestation oh. of his past, the brain and the mermaid, and he says, "How gracious of you to offer." But then we have the first guys going guilty. Guilty. <laughs> it says, which are uh, in the first book, which were the tiger mask face guys, or at least I think I hypothesized. I think they turned into that at the end of the first book. Let me look over yeah. there. Yeah, they did. So yeah, because we were thinking all along, like, all right, well, they don't. They kind of hint at it because you see them in the fog, and then it goes into that dreamscape, and then we see those three guys. So it's implied that that's them that they can change their form. And uh, anyway, they're, they're saying, the grave of the poets lead us there now. And then we go back to the winding, treacherous path. Long and winding road. And the narration tells us, forgive me, dear reader, for my outburst just now. I had momentarily forgotten your unparalleled levels of observation. Clearly, you saw through my weak knees, cephalurian head. <laughs> and crocodile tears. Only my newfound foes would be taken in by such obvious th- theatrics. In the alternative, there was the excuse me. In the alternative, that there is some part of me hidden from thee. When we have come this far together, from thee, I had thought these blasted anachronisms banished in the first chapter. Yet here they return. Regardless, my plan had worked to perfection. Yes, I needed an escort. These triplets needed a guide. The solution was obvious. All it had taken to earn their trust was a Shakespearean descent to one knee. Oh, poor little hardy, hardly hardy Henry, so easily led astray by the ethereal fearscape and the terrible creatures found within. Hark upon their revelations of his inner soul. Hear ye, hear ye, his hidden Freudian or Jungian complexity. So now he's saying, you know, oh, that was all a ruse to uh, yeah. to gain trust. Now, is it, possi- is it possible that it is, or is he just coming up nah. with lies to excuse his own behavior. I think he's fooling himself. Such melodramatic whimsy, of course, it resonated within the most uninspired of Campbellian archetypes. I'm not sure what Campbellian is. Uh, Campbellian is uh, the, like the hero story. Joseph, yeah, Joseph Campbell. Jo- Joseph Campbell, yeah. Yeah, that there's what? So certain, there's always a... The same stereo, uh, the same types of characters and all hero journey stories. The, the wizard, the young mm-hmm. uh, hero. Uh, Star Wars is an example of Star a, Wars, King Arthur, yeah, The Hobbit. Yep. Uh, you know, the, the list. The list does go on and on. Uh, well, that's you know the the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. The shapeshifter trickster were the name were the name not already taken? I would call them. And now he's entering into a building. Echo spirits, of course, an imperative, not a title. What incredible things one notices on a reread. My sentences yes. run, and I must after them. Focus. I need focus. There is a yeah, malaise. Go ahead. Like the door he comes out of, I think, is the same. It's the door in the hall, uh, like in the alley, or because it's got the anarchy symbol. Is that? Uh, I'm scrolling back through issue one. Okay. 
because it looks like the same brick. Uh, I'm looking, I'm looking. Okay, while you're looking, there was a malaise in your mind, said friend, mind you, mind you, own mind, said foe. Echo is both a circular chessboard and a single player. I had suffered through this, that place, and for what? To discover that the very thing I searched for, the secret of the novel, did not exist? To come face to face with big literature, that corporeal industrial complex between earthbound storytellers and fearscape bound shadows and its antiquitous gatekeeping of genuine men of letters such as you or I. I got to tell you, I could never write that kind of dialogue. Uh, I found myself like Mersault before me an outsider. Now, who's Mersault? I'll look it up. I who entered the weeping castle and conquered the first fear. I who passed through the grave of poets to the acclaim of the echo spirits. I who the muse had selected as storyteller above all others. Now, he hadn't been selected above all others. They had selected Arthur Proctor, and he just pretended. Had my means been duplicitous, perhaps... But tell me, dear reader, what is the work of a storyteller, is, if not a carefully constructed lie? Now we have, uh, he, while that's going on, he's calling the, I guess, the uh, agent, and he's saying that he finished his novel, and you see a copy of the book Terror Forming, which was the one that came up in the first issue, and uh, Arthur sorry. Proctor's I... name is down at the bottom, and Henry Henry is just written in, in pen over it. Go ahead. Mersault, Mer- 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 the the protagonist and narrator of The Stranger, to whom the novel's title refers. Mersault is a detached figure who views and describes much of what occurs around him from a removed position, which is what Henry Henry does. He is emotionally indifferent to others, even to his mother and his lover, Marie. So, yeah, he's that's, that's, the, that's the tie-in to that. Well, we learned so much from this book. Yeah, that's the one thing I, I gotta tell you, you know, I give credit to the fact that it is clearly carefully thought out thought out um and certainly like i said the dialogue is something that is readable but it's never something that i would ever put together in my own for my own brain so now we have the muse standing in the fearscape with uh, the cube-headed being uh and he says he led them here she says you do, you don't know that he says fears cannot find their way to the grave of the poets without a guide and he could not have survived the fearscape Without their escort, a highwayman's pact was made, and all because, she says, you don't know that. He says, how many things must you allow them to break? How many many times times must you allow them to break our rules before you see the destructive they are? Did you learn nothing from Lovecraft, from Poe? And meanwhile, in the two two sides of the cube that we could see, there are images of Edgar Allan Poe and uh, H.P. Lovecraft. And she says, who? He says, sorry, I forgot sometimes you're not who you once were. Still, So where do, so where do you imply that Poe and Lovecraft were here, and they did things that may have actually hurt the muse? Like she's not, maybe something's been lost from her because of past uh, other people that have done things to the fearscape or this realm? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably a safe assumption at this point. Uh, still the greatest of all fears has broken through into their world. We need to find a hero. I agree, but I don't think our story has one. Meanwhile, we see 
in the course of that dialogue, we see Henry Henry, we see Arthur Proctor's daughter, and we see Arthur Proctor. And I have to believe at this point that Arthur Proctor's daughter is going to step up and be significant in this story uh, from a protagonist point of view before it's done. I don't know about Arthur Proctor because he seems to be bedridden, I guess, with dementia. Yeah, he could be bedridden, but maybe he might be... Uh, did it say he had Alzheimer's? I don't recall for certain, but he was definitely not lucid. But he could be like trapped in his mind, and stories come from the mind, so he might still be able to be some type of force to reckon with, maybe. That's true. It remains to be seen, because that's the end of issue number two. Excuse me. Now, I have to say, my expectations were let down a little, because I was looking for a more significant confrontation that we don't really get in this issue. It is more of a... It, it's, it's more a battle of the wits than anything else, uh, but we haven't really seen what the enemy is coming at him with. It's a little nebulous at this point. I like the way the story progresses as far as the narration and just the just the, the pomposity of Henry Henry and the delusional nature of his character, but I did want to see something a little bit more... I, I don't want to see necessarily a traditional fight, 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 superhero type comic, but I did want but, uh, a but more... But some type of conflict other than inner turmoil, yeah. maybe? I wanted a more dramatic conflict at some point. And, and that was, to me, that was the letdown of this issue, although I do like the issue. I'm not going to try and make it sound like it was, you know... Like no, you're... Because my expectation was not... I don't want to say let down. It, it wasn't met, but it was given something else to chew on. So it's not bad, but it's not what I was expecting. Is the way yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with that. And now I'm going to... Scott, you've been staying very quiet throughout this, and I know uh, <laughs> to our to our in-depth analysis. I, I know you you know you you're not as enamored as Bill and I have been of the first two issues. So I'm curious as to your take on it so far. I I mean I liked the first issue, um, but this second one um, it it just frankly it just lost me at, at some point. Um, when when stories, I mean, I, I know they they don't want to give you they don't want to spoon feed you and they don't want to give you everything that's going on right up front and I and I appreciate that and I understand that but when you start to be weird and confusing and and you know effusive when, when you go past a certain point you know you you risk losing your your audience and that's what happened with me because it, it got to a point and I kept flipping back and rereading things and going back to the first issue and going back and forth. And, and it just got to a point where I, it was frustrating because I finally got to a point where like, I don't know what the hell's going on. And when you get to that point um, that, you know, I, I think, I, I don't think that's a good story storytelling point to be at when you're just, you know, you're frustrating your reader. And I just got frustrated with it because it, it got to a point, especially with the, about the time the cube headed guy showed up. I, that's where I got to the point where I'm like, I no longer, know what's going on and frankly don't care what's going on and so I, I i tried to be fair i tried to you know to understand what i thought the point of the whole thing was and i, I guess that's my my problem with it is ultimately i don't really i don't really understand what what the point of all this is what what's he supposed to be accomplishing or what do they want him for i i feel like it just needs to be a little more straightforward i mean 
you know, I, I don't like books like this where I, I'm made to feel stupid. Like I, like I just don't, you know, like I'm not smart enough to figure it out. It's, I, I, I'd like to think it's not that. I think it's just that it's it's not being clear enough in what the the point in the narrative is is supposed to be, you know, telling us or leading us towards or or whatever. So, well, I, uh, I do think there's a little bit of a slow burn going on where we're going to find out more of where it's leading us, or at right. least I'm certainly hoping that. Uh, and and I totally get what you're saying. I don't necessarily disagree. Uh, but I just haven't reached the point where I'm willing to give up the challenge. I do feel that there is almost a challenge to me to read this uh, and to kind of get it and follow along and feel like I'm not missing the point. Uh, and it's been a while since I read a comic book that I thought was a challenge. So right. I'm kind of enjoying this one because of that. Uh, I don't know if ultimately the payoff is going to be satisfying or disappointing. I, I don't know because we're, you know, we're just not there yet. Uh, but I do think it's leading us down a road that, quite frankly, I'm enjoying more in the dissection with Bill and with you now than I do when I sit down and just read it by myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I get more out of reading through and listening to you read it. And, read to read me your story, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let, let me ask you, let me approach it a slightly different way. Um, so I agree with you. I mean, I have certainly read comics where, you know, starting out, there, there might be more than half the series where I was sticking with it without really knowing what the hell's going on, what, what's the point of all this, where is it going, and, and being, frankly, really confused. I remember uh, the first time I read V for Vendetta. That was largely the experience, up until the end of it where it all kind of comes together much of that book i remember being like i just don't understand this so you know i'm i'm perfectly willing to go on a journey that you know will will ultimately prove to be <clears throat> prove to be satisfying um so long as it does but there's also you know one thing i couldn't help thinking an awful lot about as i was reading particularly the second issue is the fact that the book is 399 and these days, and, and the way comics are, and with this one being so counter-norm comics, if you know what I mean, and I mean it, it boldly proclaims that right on the first page of the first issue that this ain't superheroes. You know, this this is not normal comic books. We're we're going for something boldly different. Is this too boldly different to to a point where it, it might be to its own detriment that? You know, would readers continue to, to stick around and shell out four bucks for subsequent issues if they're lost in the first, in the second issue? Well, you know, so, so that was kind of the where my head was with with this particular issue. Is I, I I couldn't you know I couldn't decide you know if I were buying this off the stands or, or wherever this is offered you know would I, would I stick with it beyond this issue? Would I continue to pay hmm. four bucks for something that had completely frustrated me? In the, in the second issue, and I don't I don't know. I think what, I would be more think? inclined, and you know we we are the uh, beneficiaries of Mr. O'Sullivan providing this to us for free, right? So you know I, I I have to sit here and say would I do that as you're asking? I think I would be more inclined to want to pick this up as a trade 
with the full story, or at, right. least, at least with half the story. Maybe if, if let's just say for argument's sake, the storyline is going to go on for twelve issues. I, I pick up a trade that has six of the the first six issues, and then, assuming I still liked it, pick up the second trade with the final six issues. I think I'd be more inclined to want to do that than to pick it up as individual issues. Right. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't. What do you think, Bill? Sorry, I'm just looking up if it's available in a trade on Amazon. Not yet. I don't think. <laughs> I, I don't uh, think. The, I, I don't think. Uh, something popped up. So let me see. I'm not sure if issue four has come out yet. Well, didn't he come out in like September, October? So we could. Oh, wait, no, that's a different Fearscape. Whoops. It's Whoop. whoopsie. It's September, October, and December. So I, I don't think. Uh, I'm not sure if issue four has come out yet. Well, looking at the amount of story you get versus a. Um, oh, you could pre order. Well, it's, uh, it's certainly you, not a quick read, that's for sure. No, so, no. I mean. To, to kind of, uh, I don't want to say pull back the curtain, but other books I'm reading right now at three ninety nine that are mainstream and are superhero books, I've been sadly disappointed with the product that's been coming out. Right. So uh, I don't really want to, well, you know what, I'll just say it. I haven't really been thrilled with the Fantastic Four or the West Coast Avengers or the Exiles for that matter. And I've, and I've only been getting the Avengers out of Force of Habit to maintain the whole collection. But I can't say I've been totally jazzed with everything that's been going on, and I feel like the page counts low, and I'm kind of like, I'm paying this amount for this? And yeah, if nothing else, for this book, at least you feel like you're getting a meaty read yeah. for your money. Yeah, And, and it's a challenging nice read. I like the fact that it's a challenging read. You know, I, I don't think I would have liked it as a 12-year-old, but as an adult, I like it. Right. And it is right. definitely off of my comfort level, because I am a superhero comics reader. Uh, and this is this is not certainly not a superhero comic. Uh, this is you know this is into the fantasy realm. Uh, you know we we mention in, in this or the book mentions H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and 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 Edgar Allan Poe, and certainly more in their wheelhouse than Stan Lee. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So, but but you know that said, like as I just mentioned earlier, uh, I find it more satisfying to break it down and read it together than I did sitting down and reading it by myself. My opinion of it did go up in breaking it down. Fearscape number one is going for $22 on Amazon. I wonder if that's because of a low print run. Maybe. I have no idea. I I don't even know this this company, Vault, that's producing it. I only see see three three issues out. You're right. I mean, that's all that's popping up on uh, Amazon. But the the trade is available. Uh, You can pre-order it. It will be released on April 16th. Of this year yeah like i said i would be more if i was if i was the average reader and i'm listening to this episode i would probably be more inclined to go for the trade mm-hmm. if if i found it intriguing and i hope people are actually because I, i'm i'm finding it more intriguing as we're going through it and and again my opinion is actually stronger now than it was before we started the episode so uh i'm gonna say cover wise it it's kind of more of the same as far as cover-wise as compared to the first issue. Uh, it's not necessarily something that would be pulling me right in to, to buy it if I was in a comic store looking at it, unless uh, I had some sort of advanced word as to what it is and, and was intrigued by that. So I'm going to give the cover just a C. Uh, the interior art, uh, I again like the fact that it kind of changes in its tone depending on where he is 
and what's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the storytelling is well done in it, and I think it's, I'm not going to say easy to follow, but I think with the dialogue, it, it follows fairly well. Uh, so I'm going to give the artwork, the interior artwork, a B. And the story, I think, is not quite as good as the first issue as far as keeping me on the, you know, wanting more. Uh, but as we went over it, and, and I kind of enjoyed uh, some of the dialogue that we got, and, and just I'm, I'm bec- I am becoming more intrigued as to where we're going to go. So I'm going to give the uh, story a B as well, and I'll give the book overall just a B. Uh, I think, didn't we give it A's all across last time? Yes, we did. I mean, cover-wise, it's it's really the same style. I, I have... I. I you know, I I'm trying to think if I would. Well, I mean, I, I would still pick this up off the shelf. I mean, now that I've been reading it, so I mean, I, I'm still going to give. Uh, I'm still going to give the cover an A. Uh, the interior art. We don't get as many changes, like when they were telling stories at different time frames. There's not as many in here, but I still think it's pretty cool. Uh, we got Doctor Cubehead Strange. Whatever he is. The hero of many facets, or the hero with a thousand faces, that's it. Um, uh, I'm still going to... I'm going to give the art a B plus, And I'm going to give the... Because uh, there's still questions, you know, I maybe I'm totally off base with the child abuse thing, what I'm reading into that. I could be totally out the lunch, and, and if I've insulted the author, I, I apologize. Maybe maybe I'm in a dark place. <laughs> I'm not sure that you're off on that. I mean, it definitely he, the 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 visceral reaction that Henry Henry had is probably due to something. So that's as good an explanation for it as as I have at this point. You know, show me on the action figure where Arthur Proctor touched you. <laughs> so um, I'm going to give the story. Uh, it wasn't quite what I thought I was going to get, but I'm still intrigued and looking to move along, so I'm going to give it a B plus. So, A, two B pluses, uh, you know, we're squeaking at the borderline between a B and an A. Real close. All it's right. a bye. Scott? <laughs> I've lost Scott. So, I was muted, this, sorry. This, there's uh, a Scott-shaped uh, figure in the wall. <laughs> Scott-shaped <laughs> hole in the wall where he ran away. I kept saying I'm I'm right here, and then I realized I was muted. Um, ooh, this is a tough one. Um, I like the cover. I mean, artwork wise, there there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's uh, you know it's good artwork and everything. I don't think it would make me pick it up off the stands though, which is ultimately the the point of the cover. So yeah, I don't I don't know on that. But I mean, art wise, it, it's you know it's a perfectly serviceable cover. Um, I'll say a, I'll say a, a, a B minus on the cover. Um, interior art, I actually like the interior art quite a bit. It reminds me of somebody that I can't quite put my finger on. Um, it reminds me in some instances of um, uh, Silvestri. I'm trying to think of that guy's first name. Mark. Uh, Mark, yeah, Mark Silvestri. Um, who I'm kind of hot and cold on. There's other times it strongly reminds me of like Gene Colon, especially the cube-headed guy really reminded me a lot of Gene Colon. Oh, like the, the cloaks and yeah. the smoke. And... I'm thinking of Dr. Bong from Howard the Duck. Yeah, 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 very much so, yeah. Um, but there's another artist in there, too, that it's reminding me a lot of, and I'm, I'm just... Sienkiewicz? Uh, 
No, no I'm not seeing Sinkevich in this. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm yeah, it's a little able too to place who it is. So I, I like the art. I th- I think the art's actually really nice. Uh, um, you know, for for this type of story and everything. Um, so art wise, I, I honestly, I, I think I I think I go a B, maybe even a B plus on the interior art. I, I really do like it. Um, he's really good at facial expressions, and he's good at you know just the wispy. Uh, you know, mysterious stuff. You know, the where the some of the figures are undefined, but like purposely so because you know weird and mysterious things are going on, type of thing. Uh, I'd love to see this artist doing, um, you know, something like Dracula would be really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it really Which brings you back this. to the Gene Colan thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's a lot of the you know when they're in the castle or, or whatever this is and they're wandering around in there. Uh, that did remind me an awful lot of. Uh, like Colin's like Tomb of Dracula type stuff, or uh, or what was that one Night Force or whatever, that sort of thing. Um, my real hang up with this one was the story. I, I was enjoying the setup with the first issue, but this issue just not so much. It just I don't know. There was something about it. I just uh, I, I really was not understanding what was going on. And maybe that is the point of the second issue because. You know, now we're in the actual fearscape. We're in this guy's head. Maybe that was the point. Maybe it's supposed to leave you a little disoriented and not quite, because he's clearly shaken up by this whole thing, and he he acts like he's not quite altogether with it. So maybe that was the point of the story. I don't know. I just I wanted it to be a little more straightforward here. You know, starting out so I could understand you know exactly what was happening and not really getting that. So. You know, just for this particular chapter of the story, um, quite honestly, I, I think I'd have to go like a C minus because I, I was I was I was let down. I, I liked the first issue and I liked the setup, but the second issue just kind of uh, just kind of lost me somewhere along the line. So altogether, great on this. Um, I think I'd go a B minus as the overall grade. So I mean, not not bad. I mean, I you know I enjoyed aspects of it. Just. Uh, I wish the narrative had been been a little more straightforward. I guess. Why'd you hate it? So but you know, all of that, yeah, all of that with the with the caveat that you know this this isn't really my my bag either. So there you go. All right, fair enough. I, I you know, it's, we, we we've talked about on several occasions where uh, you know if, if you if you're going to be critical, have a basis for your criticism, and I think you gave it a fair and honest critique, and I don't think you were overly harsh. Uh, you know, just Bill, I was a little higher on it than you, and Bill is a little higher on it than me. That's really what it comes down to, I think. Issue four is in shops January thirtieth. All right, cool. I, I honestly, I hope that uh, that we get another preview copy of it because uh, I'm enjoying covering it. Uh, so that gets us through issue two. Uh, I don't know if issue three will be next week or the week after that, but we will definitely get to it. I hope. People listening are enjoying it, and uh, come on back now, you hear? Bye. Send more comics. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. 
Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.